Blog Talk Radio. Screen, you 
say, hey, I'm back. I've got something to say. Again, 646-929-2495. So this is a podcast. It's a podcast brought to you by the Human Solution International. It's brought to you by the Coffee Party Radio Network. And we're bringing to you the Walk for Change through it. Today I've got a great guest, actually a couple of guests, and we're going to be talking about abolishing private prisons. So I've got a few minutes to talk before they come in, and um, as you might imagine, I've got a lot to say. Um, and I'm, I'm moving my computer just a little bit so that I can see the, the board. I'm a little, bit, a little bit sideways today trying to adjust. All right, so we're going to start with the problems and go to the solutions. What do you say? So we go through life, and, and life throws us problems. It happens all the time, every day, wherever we are, no matter who we are. We get hit with a pandemic of, of biblical proportion, or so they say, and a lot of people are getting sick. And countries are shutting down, and cities are shutting down, and businesses are shutting down, and we're being told to keep away from each other, and we're being told to wear masks, and we're being told to stay away. And what's happening is now some cities and towns and states and businesses are deciding, well, I've had enough of that. Um, you know, if I continue to be out of business, I'm going to go out of business, and I will go broke. And then I'll starve and end up without a place to live. So I'm going to take some chances and get out there and do the best I can. Well, the truth is about this, we don't know very much. And we're being told a lot, and we're being told a lot of things that cause us to be fearful. I am not making a personal assessment of this. All I'm doing is saying that we don't know. We don't know more than we do know. And what we do know is that each of us is responsible for each of us. And so, my... Okay. I found this on the web first. Sorry, I got a new Siri, and she's a little rambunctious. And maybe I'm a little loud, but this is a podcast, so I should be talking. Anyhow, I just want to remind us all, as, as I've heard of people getting uh, shot over not wanting to wear a mask or over telling somebody to wear a mask. I've heard of fights breaking out. I've heard of hostilities rising. I've heard of all kinds of confrontations and conflicts that have happened because of this situation. But I want us all to remember that we're responsible for us. And what that might mean is that we decide that we're healthy and we're not a contagion to anybody, and we're going to go about our business. It might mean that we're not feeling so good, or we might have reason to believe that we are infected, so we do the right thing and keep away from everybody. But it also might mean that we're compromised, and we find ourselves at risk, or we might find that we're going to be around people that are at risk. So maybe it's up to us, to protect ourselves. And I think that instead of getting mad at the guy who's not wearing the mask, I think it's up to you to protect yourself if you feel you need that protection. It's my show, my thought, my opinion. If you don't like it, 
you can tell me about it. You can blast me for it. I'm sure you will. But remember, the responsibility is ours. Everything that we do, our responsibility. And I'm going to use that as a segue that I've been listening to a book that's been real inspiring. And I, I you know, try to try to keep up on things. I try to listen to things that, that, that make me think. And one of the things that this guy said, and I totally agree with it, is you are who you are and what you are because of what has gone in your mind. And I talk about that a lot. You know, we create the world that we live in. Anything that you see has been a thought at one point. We make happen everything that happens. The other side of that coin, though, is you can change who you are and what you are by changing what goes into your mind. So I just want to remind us all that what we're thinking about is what we're bringing about. And if you're thinking about fearful things and scary things and negative things and dark things, don't wonder why all those things are surrounding us. Maybe start thinking about the world you want to see. You know, that's what the human solution is all about. That's what the walk for change is all about. And that's why I'm so adamantly supportive of it, um, of, of both the human solution and the walk for change. So the human solution is a 501c3 federally recognized civil rights organization that has been around for 10 years. We have supported cannabis cases. We've supported civil rights cases. We've supported Native American um, efforts. We've supported veterans' efforts. We've supported disabled efforts. And we'll continue to do so. And, and as the name indicates, we're about the solution. And one of the things that I've always tried to do as more often than not I've been at the helm of this organization is I want it to be the very best that it can. I want it to be the organization I would want to be part of. Why? Because I want to be part of it. And I just, I've always wanted it to be the very best. So what we've done a long time ago, maybe eight years ago, is we created a code of conduct that said, you know what? If you're a representing member, meaning you're out there, you know, maybe sporting your ribbon, uh, maybe wearing a sign or, or, or have identified yourself as a chapter coordinator or, <coughs> or a, a representing us in some official capacity. We, as we're representing the organization, don't go and cause any harm to anyone. We're not, we're not the guy that's out there throwing rocks and bottles and, and inciting violence. We're not the guys that are bashing anybody on social media. We're not the ones doing any of that. However, what that does not mean is that if you become a member of the human solution, that all of a sudden you are held to task for every little thing you say or do or think. It doesn't mean that you're a member of the human solution so you can't get in a, an altercation with somebody because you took a stand or whatever. We're not here to control you. We're not here to rule you. We're not here to tell you how you have to be. It is only as you're representing our organization in an official capacity that we ask that you mind yourself. You're representing us. We wish to be represented as we are, which is excellent. We're a fine, upstanding organization that's done nothing but uh, empower, support, and, and cause positive change in the world. So on that, if there's ever a question, 
You know, if somebody's sitting there putting their, their, their negativity out on social media, um, that's that person doing it. If they don't, I certainly hope that, that, that we all bring our best to everything we do, uh, especially when it comes to things that affect other people so much as the Walk for Change and the Human Solution International. So I just want you all to remember, um, you know, that we're not here to um, micromanage the world. We're here to affect big change. We're here to help end prohibition. We're, help to, we're here to create a world where we're not imprisoning each other for nonviolent offenses. We're here to cre create a world where you can't start a business of locking other people up. And we're going to be getting to our guests here really soon, and they have an organization that is about abolishing private prisons, which we adamantly support. We don't believe there should ever be a private prison. Um, it's such a conflict of interest. It's such a problem that's rampant in America, especially. I don't know what other countries have them, but certainly it's a big problem in America. So let me get to another quick announcement, and then we're going to bring our guests up. So. As you may or may not know, and hopefully you do know, but we've been promoting our Walk for Change uh, through the Human Solution, through the Walk for Change itself, uh, through a lot of different avenues. And one of the things that we've recently done is we've launched our Twitter account. And I don't know anything about Twitter. I am learning quickly how it works and what it is. Apparently there's a lot of people that go on Twitter and it's a way to get exposure. It's a way to bring about um, sharing a message in potentially a meaningful way. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to do a giveaway. And our giveaway is going to be a Walk for Change t-shirt that looks a little something like this. Okay. And we're going to give one of these away to somebody that goes on to our Twitter account. And pay attention right now because our Twitter account is at walk number four change US. Now, if you just go into Twitter and you, you look up Walk for Change, I'm pretty sure you'll see it. It's got that little uh, uh, logo that has a couple of feet and says Walk for Change on it. Now that logo is going to be changing pretty soon because we got a new one, but for now, it's the one that's on our T-shirt as well. So if you go on to the Walk for Change Twitter and retweet any of the uh, tweets that are up there, you will be select or are in the running to be selected. I'm going to pick one today before the show's over um, of of uh, somebody that has retweeted any of our tweets. So. Get on there, and uh, that's how you're going to get a chance to win a T-shirt today. All right, so it is time. We're going to bring up our guests right now. We have attorneys John Dacey and Robert Craig um, with AbolishPrivatePrisons.org. And let's see if I can do this here. I think I can. We're going to bring John. And, oops, that's a chat. I'm learning how to be a host here in my own show. That's not it. Let's see here. Oh, are you guys on that right now? Yeah, Joe, they've been on. 
I don't see that. I don't see that. Um, you're going to have to switch to gallery view where they are there hanging out, waiting on you awesome. with big smiles on their faces. Oh, that's good. I, I, hey, guys. You can hey. see me. I can't see you. But here we go. We're going to fix that. There you are. All right. I'm learning this show right now. I, I love technology. I, I do the talking. I don't usually do the behind-the-scenes-ing. So here we are. All right. Well. Um, we've got John, and that must be Robert down below, and um, I want to welcome you both to the show. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Thank you very much for having us. Well, it is absolutely my pleasure. Um, so just for you guys to understand, um, for the audience, um, uh, John and I and Robert had a conversation about a week and a half ago. Uh, we became uh, introduced to each other through Chris Martin and the work that he's doing in Arizona. I've known Chris Martin for, I don't know, 10 years or so. Um, and we all have a, a common thread, um, and one of the common threads are about personal liberties and justice and all that good stuff that uh, some people take more seriously than others. And um, we take it awfully seriously, and these guys are actually attorneys, and they've decided uh, to go on a campaign, which is something that, in my opinion, is huge. And I, I couldn't be more pleased to, to have heard about this project. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it over to you guys real quickly to kind of just introduce your project. What do you say? That sounds like a plan. I'll, I'll give you a real short uh, comment and, and let Rob introduce himself. Um, I'm in Phoenix, and, and, and Rob is in Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, we work with Abolish Private Prisons, which is an Arizona nonprofit, 501c3 corporation, uh, founded in 2015, and uh, essentially we're uh, becoming a public interest law firm. Uh, we're both licensed in Arizona, and Robbie in Oklahoma as well. Uh, I've been practicing law in Phoenix for about 42 years. Uh, Twelve of those years included working for legal aid and, and public interest nonprofits, uh, where uh, I did class action litigation that included things like jail conditions and health care and food stamps and various other types of poverty programs. Um, and I left my private practice about a year and a half ago to focus on this work. This work being uh, preparation of a lawsuit or lawsuits to challenge the constitutionality of privatizing our prisons in federal court. So um, with that, I'll let Rob introduce himself. Yeah, I've, uh, I graduated law school in 2012 and clerked on the Ninth Circuit for a year and then for the uh, Federal District Court in Arizona for three years after that. And then I uh, had a little bit of time as I was studying for the bar and volunteered uh, time for John to do some research and uh, the constitutional issues sort of gripped me right away and uh, that's how I came to join ADT. And we've been working since that was about two and a half years ago and we've been working pretty hard getting the case ready to go since then. That's fantastic and you know this is not a small undertaking. Um, in not both in the scope of the of of the suit and in the 
I don't know, the magnitude of the adversary. Um, you're not going up against a little guy who's just a jerk. You're going up against a mammoth, uh, institutional, um, heavily funded, heavily entrenched in our political world, um, almost a juggernaut, wouldn't you say? Well, you've just talked me out of doing that. <laughs> oh, no, they're just easy targets to hit, that's all. Uh, the, uh, you know, where we'll start is with a, a lawsuit or two in, in U.S. District Court in Arizona um, against the uh, director of the Arizona Department of, of Corrections, and, and hopefully we'll have uh, clients that will allow us to uh, challenge the federal agencies that use private prisons in Arizona as well, which include the U.S. Marshal and uh, Federal Bureau of Prisons. Um, what we have in mind are, are lawsuits in federal courts to try and get the constitutionality of prison privatization before the U.S. Supreme Court. And because of that, we may have to file in other federal circuits as well. Um, so our work, I, I would want to make sure I mention this at least three times during this program. Um, our work um, requires that we have clients. So that means people who are incarcerated in private prisons for right now in Arizona, um, and we represent some and we would welcome others, especially people placed in private prisons by the federal government. Uh, secondly, we need um, funds. So, for example, if we had 100,000 people give up one trip to their favorite coffee shop for the next three months, make one donation to us, that, that would have a dramatic impact on our operational funds because we need to be prepared to take this for the long haul. Um, for people who are, are listening in now or may view it later, uh, a couple of things you can do right now is sign up. Uh, our website is www.abolishprivateprisons.org. And I should have had an index card put in front of the screen for that. Um, but you can sign up and get our our newsletter. And there's a lot of information on our website about it. Yeah, I'm going to take a liberty here. I've got my screen here right on your site. So at least people can see it. Yeah. And thank you. And, um, the other thing you mentioned in terms of what the opposition looks like, it, you know, I, I'd ask Robbie to, to talk further about, you know, as we drill down on the constitutional issues, but, but generally what we would want people to understand is our beef is with government. So if, if you look at these prison corporations, and, and there are three major ones in the United States, uh, that incarcerate 90% or more of people in private prisons. Um, one way to look at them is they're responding to the government's statement of need. We need more prison cells and we're trying to save money doing it. But it is the government, our elected leaders, that are creating the private prison industry. And the powerful private prison lobby that results from that. Um, and so when we go to court, our beef is going to be with, 
with the federal and state laws that authorize or require privatization, and then, of course, with the executive agencies that do the contracting. So, um, in general, what we're going to be complaining about under the U.S. Constitution is that the government's actions in privatizing and putting people in private facilities is what, is what violates the Constitution. So, a, a couple of questions. Well, I've probably got a million questions, but we'll just start out with a couple to start with. Um, the, the nature of this, you know, a lot of people think they understand how things work, and I have people explain the government to me all the time, and I'm like, no, it's not quite like that. And and it has, to, you know, a lot of times people think they understand the legal system, and they're like, well, we're just going to go to the Supreme Court. Well, it doesn't so much work that way now, does it? Like, you actually have to start at one place, and then it has to get heard by a court, Get it has to get turned away by that court, then you got to bring it to another court, and then you can maybe have a chance to put it before a Supreme Court. So when, when you're starting with these initial suits, uh, what, are the what, what are the specifics? Like, I mean, you, your, your goal is to take these cases and move them forward with a specific target. But in order to hit that target, you have to have certain elements. So if I was to say, well, I know a bunch of guys in prison, and some of them are probably in private prison. What kind of specifics are you looking for in these initial suits? Want to take this one, Robert? Yeah, in terms of what we're looking for, I mean, the, the important part for people that want to challenge us is that uh, they're currently uh, serving time in a facility that's operated by a private contractor. Uh, we also work with people who are in prison uh, that were at one point in a private facility that, but have been moved to a public facility but are nonetheless susceptible to being transferred back. Um, that's really essentially all it takes to be, uh, you know, to have standing. You know, one of, the, one of the things you mentioned is that not everybody understands all the sort of complexities about filing a lawsuit. One of the ones that's important and it's sort of, you know, without this you can't do anything else is there has to be somebody that was wrong. There has to be a harm that the court can say, I can do this and I can fix that wrong. And so in order to have that standing, you have to have some wrong that's been committed against you. And so for us, the people that we're looking for, uh, that we are trying to work with, are people that are either in private prisons or have been in private prisons and are susceptible to be transferred back. And crucially, at this point, we're looking for people in Arizona and uh, ideally that are serving a uh, sentence as a result of a federal offense. Uh, to expand the people that we can include in the lawsuit. Uh, but we are willing to talk to people in Arizona that are in uh, state or federal crimes. Uh, that's, that's really the, the prime indicator that we're looking for at this point. So there's not any uh, limitation as to why they're in prison, um, or is there a limitation to did they need to be harmed in prison? Like did they need to in some way have been denied something that they should have been able to have access to or, or, or had some kind of physical or, or, or harm come to them? Yeah. We, uh, our position is that they're being harmed merely by being in a private facility. There, there's a lot of constitutional issues, the, the rights that people have, and simply the fact that they're placed there uh, violates some of those uh, constitutional rights that they have. Um, that makes my job or, easier. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, we have a lot of theories about the kinds of uh, ways that people in private facilities are being treated worse than people in public facilities, but that's really not the crux of our case. The crux of the case is that the rights of a, that they have as an individual under the Constitution mm -hmm. are violated as soon as they're transferred to a private facility. So, so for, uh, your, for your purposes, it might be better to have more plaintiffs or more more people to bring to case just that were in private prisons rather than a few of them that were immensely harmed by those private prisons. I'll let John take this one, but part of, the, part of the issue is that we're bringing this as a class action. That means that we're trying to get a large group of people together because one of the ways that uh, defendants in court can try to get rid of the case is by uh, you know, settling with people or moving them from a private facility to a public facility to try to undercut that argument that they've suffered a harm that the court can remedy. There's uh, several things that, that are critical to going to the courthouse that are unique to being a prisoner. So you and I, um, if we've suffered a constitutional harm at, at, at the feet of the government, can go to the courthouse. Um, right away as soon as we can do it our, on our own behalf or with a lawyer. You can imagine the logistical issues that, that people incarcerated may encounter, just being able to talk to a legal representative. But putting that aside, before a, a prisoner can go to the federal courthouse, they have to go through an administrative process. Um, that is the result of a federal law passed in the 1990s called the Prison Litigation Reform Act. So first, the, the prisoner, and I use the word prisoner because it's the word used in that act, is um, uh, you have to file a grievance. And you start with an informal grievance, and then you go to a formal grievance, and then you appeal that to the warden, and then from the warden you appeal it to the director of the Department of Corrections. And if you don't do each step, and if you miss the time limits in each step, you have to start all over again. And, and so it's not easy to get through this process, and there are all kinds of hurdles that aren't supposed to be there that, that any individual may encounter as well. So to come back to the more general question that you were asking, what kind of harm might you have to suffer? And, and I certainly want to make sure we talk about this in more detail. Our beef is not that public prisons are better than private ones. Our beef is that private prisons should not exist at all, period. And you don't get to questions of whether the private sector does things better or more cheaply, or has better or worse recidivism rates, until you first answer the question whether the industry should exist at all. And that question has not been answered. The US Supreme Court has not considered that issue. Um, and rarely have federal courts considered it in other than a sentence or two in pro se lawsuits by um, prisoners where the issues really have not been briefed at all. So this is going to be breaking some new ground. Um, we believe there is a line that what government can 
delegate to the private sector and what it can't and where that line is is hardly clear. But, but the issue we're talking about is a core government function, taking away a, personal, a person's individual liberty. So where is that line when it comes to public elections? What can we turn over to private interests or the military or national defense? What can we turn over to private interests? We're aware of the story of Edwin Snowden, who was working for a private contractor. We know that we use mercenaries um, with our military and, and have going back to the American Revolution. But where is the line? Is there a place where the Constitution says, no, you really can't do this? And will the Supreme Court have to move the line from wherever it is now um, to make that decision? Um, the comparative case, are public prisons better than privates? Well, I'm old enough to remember the riot at Attica Prison where 40-some prisoners were killed during the riot in a public facility. Uh, and we can read about Rikers Island, a public facility. So it's a slippery slope to compare public and privates. Um, what facilities are you comparing on what day of the week? And, and how much will the facts on the ground change the next time you make the comparison. So our position is now, this is about what the Constitution requires or prohibits. It's not about a comparison between the two. So I have a specific question that one of our listeners just brought forth, um, and their question was, is there a specific right or a specific amendment that you feel is being violated? by there being a private prison? Want to take this one, Rob? Sure, yeah, there's several. Um, and we try to talk about it in terms of the powers of the government and the rights of the people. Uh, the, when we talk about the powers of the government, uh, the Constitution vests power in the different branches of government, right? It vests the power to make laws in the legislature, it makes the power, it vests the power to dispense with cases in the judicial branch, and it, that's the executive power in the executive branch. And one of the things that's included in the executive power is the right to incarcerate somebody. You, know, you have to carry out the laws. So the non-delegation challenge that we're making is that the power of the government to incarcerate somebody that we made in this societal agreement that we all you know, live under is I'll follow the laws, and if I don't, I can't grant the power to this government to set up the punishment, whatever it is. And it violates that power of the government under uh, Articles 1 and 2 to pass that over that power to private industry. We also talk about the rights of the individual rights of people. And under this, we, we have a claim under the Eighth Amendment, the Thirteenth Amendment, Fourteenth Amendment. Um, the Fourteenth Amendment includes the due process clauses. Basically says the government has to treat you fairly. And if it's going to take away something from you, whether that's property or your liberty, it has to do it in a fair way. It has to include procedures that make sure that when, when they're taking something from an individual, they're not doing it unfairly. And we think that because of the inherent profit motive that the private corporations have to keep people in prison longer, it leads to the, the fairness inherent under the 14th Amendment and in a weird technical reason under the 5th Amendment uh, due process clause. But really it's about the due process, the, the words the due process. And that financial 
motive that the private industry has to keep people in prison longer and expand the pie of people who are eligible to be in prison makes every single action that they take uh, violate the prisoner's rights, the person who's in prison. That, that starts at the design process. When they're designing a facility, how are they designing it? Are they designing it in a way to minimize the number of infractions and increase the chances that somebody's going to be successfully rehabilitated? Or are they doing the opposite, making it more likely that the person is going to uh, come back for prison, have more disciplinary infractions, be more likely uh, to end up in solitary confinement? All of these things that not only affect your liberty while you're in prison, but also affect your ability uh, to get early release credits, to get out on time, to have your sentence extended, uh, and make it more likely to return in the future. You know, if, if you think of these private prisons like a hotel, they get paid by the, the number of beds that they have. There's some guaranteed minimums, but they want to make sure that there's more prisoners so that they keep getting this per diem rate from the government. So that cycle that they're going to be financially motivated uh, to encourage by all of these small actions, uh, all of it adds up. And that violates the due process rights of the individual. We also think that as soon as the government turns over the, uh, the person to a private entity, they get transformed into a commodity. They turn into numbers on a balance sheet that the private group might use to qualify for a loan so that they can build more prisons. Uh, it's also something that they use to get more investors. Uh, two of the three biggest private prison corporations are publicly traded on the stock exchange. And they use the number of prisoners that they have or that they project to have to increase the value of their corporation. That commodification of the individual is one of the core defining elements of slavery. We think that violates the 13th Amendment. Um, and we also think it's cruel and unusual to treat somebody like a slave. Uh, if you, uh, there's, there's, we have a long history, you know, it's one of the really stains on the American history you know, of our past, but we're trying to make that better. And we, we've all recognized at this point that it is an inherent removal of somebody's dignity to treat them like a slave. And this certainly does that. Private prison corporations are publicly traded on the stock exchange. They use the number of prisoners that they have. Yeah, that's a whole question. Oh, thanks. Joe, the, the, uh, I'll tell you what, if you're about to... Uh, no, it was another question, but it wasn't really relevant specifically to this. So it was, you know, the, the thing is, is a lot of people don't understand. I deal with a really broad-based organization that is about um, protecting human rights as a whole. And we, we, we look at these inherent, inalienable rights that were bestowed upon us by our creator, outlined by our Constitution and the Declaration of Independence as that thing that we hold dearest, and everything else seems to try to take it away. And you guys are dealing with a very specific piece of that that's been taken away, whereas we're embracing it all. So we deal with a lot of people before they go to prison, uh, people that are fighting cases, people that are charged with crimes, and the, the, the what we consider as violations of our basic rights in that process as well. And that was a question that was more delivered to that. So I want to stay on point here. Um, my goal with this initial uh, interview is to introduce my audience to you guys and your cause. And as I was uh, mentioning to John, um, I have a lot of, of special projects that we work 
with in some capacity that we bring on as recurring guests to talk about ongoing elements or getting really deep into a specific point. Um, this is an hour show. We've probably got about 10, 15 more minutes to talk. But this isn't the end of this conversation. This is literally the beginning. I would love to, as we're able to narrow down a more, a more narrow topic out of this and really get in deep onto a little piece in, in the upcoming weeks and months. So um, just know that that's my goal with this show today. Yeah, I think it's, it's important, too. It is true that as, when you're filing a case, you have to point to specific parts of the Constitution, and there's doctrines that say here's the things that you have to prove for each of those. But in particular, the, the due process clause has a component called substantive due process, and the Eighth Amendment cruel and unusual punishment. Both of those things harken back to the, the larger concepts that you're talking about. They harken back to the Declaration of Independence. The Eighth Amendment tries to protect the human's dignity. Uh, you know, the, the substantive due process looks to historical rights to figure out what is a fundamental right that we have as a person. So yes, we are talking about very specific things, but we are also talking about the larger issues that you're talking about. You know, we're also talking about the fact that when you get treated like a piece of property, that is uh, just swipes away the dignity that you have as an individual. And a bunch of the constitutional amendments, although they don't say human dignity, the court's opinions over the years have referenced the importance of human dignity and to bring in those bigger bigger concepts into specific amendments. There's, there's one thing, I'd, if you don't mind, Joe, there are a couple of things I want to, I'd like to answer. Quite often we're asked, why are we focusing on this issue? There are, are so many bigger issues relating to criminal justice including things like sentencing um, and sentencing reform that affects so many more people than are in private prisons. Because about 10% of prisoners are in private facilities. Um, but why focus on this? Well, there are several reasons. One, one is, in our view, the profit incentive in criminal justice, the profit incentive to take away people's liberty and to never release them, is a cancer in our justice system and it's spreading. So it's not only spreading across the globe to other countries, but the companies are also diversifying to other aspects of criminal justice like for-profit probation and parole as examples. So the second thing is this industry is pretty young now. Um, this isn't like Brown versus Board of Education where the plaintiffs had to overcome hundreds of years of racism and segregation. Um, culturally, this industry does not have cultural support. So the time to challenge it is before it becomes so big that our governments are incredibly dependent on them and can't afford to have them fail. And, and so we want to do this sooner rather than later. Brown versus Board of Education is a pretty good model of what you were talking about earlier, which is, you know, Brown wasn't one case. It was five different consolidated cases from around the country that gradually get up to the Supreme Court, and there's no guaranteed review at the Supreme Court level. So it is a process. But I wanted to mention that, um, and the numbers, can change overnight. 
you know, when you have a state legislature like Tennessee's or Arizona's, which did consider legislation to privatize their correction systems, the numbers and percentages can change very quickly. Um, and, and so one thing I would want to tell your listeners and, and you as well, Joe and Bobby, wherever you are, um, if you refer people to us in Arizona, take a look at the website in terms of how to get in touch with us. We can provide a template grievance for the people who are in, prisoner, in prisons, uh, but for the virus, we were able to go meet with people pretty easily. Uh, now we get legal phone calls. Um, but we can help people move their grievance through the grievance system to the point where their case is ready to file if they decide that's what they want to do. And we're always going to be looking for referrals to people now, in Arizona for now. With, with regard to that point, um, I mean, I'm a guy who's all about we can do anything, right? I mean, I've, I've accomplished with my own trial series of events, things that never happened happened because I stayed with it and kept fighting and brought the world with me. And I know I know what can happen when, when we set our, our minds to something and we set a goal that's, that's a good and worthy goal. Um, if you were to get a whole bunch of people all at once, um, is this something that requires attorneys to do the filings? Or it sounds to me like you can direct people, um, you know, to do a lot of the work themselves or, or you know, um, give them some guidance and then come back and kind of shepherd this thing along without having to do all of the details? We have to guide because they don't allow the lawyers to be involved in the administrative grievance process. Got it. So this is this is basically a self-help situation where somebody has to do this work themselves, but you're going to give them the tools. One thing I would like to offer at this point, and we talked about it a little bit um, in our previous conversation, was um, in our website we have a uh, defendant resources and a prison outreach um, element to our website, and uh, we're building a what we're calling a legal clinic, I don't know what that means yet in a, in a technical definition because we don't have a lawyer on staff, but we want to provide self-help legal um, tools. And uh, we just recently purchased a, a bunch of um, motion templates that are motions that were successfully argued in all ranges of different cases that we're in the process of putting up. I would like to offer a page that could be a portal to your site, um, but to, to give some specifics of, you know, if you know somebody that meets these criteria, here's a place to go. Um, I would like to offer that through our website to yours, and, um, you know, we can get the details on that figured out later. But um, it's just another way that we can work together, and I think that, um, you know, I see a lot of merit to this. Another question I have that came um, through one of the listeners, is uh, we work with a number of, of federal prisoners. Um, I don't specifically offhand know of any that are in a private prison, but it doesn't mean that they aren't or weren't at one point. But one of the things that I know about several of the prisoners that I specifically have known and worked with is that they get jobs, and they get jobs working in factories. They get jobs working in companies that use prison labor 
to produce products. Um, I know private prisons use those same kinds of companies. Is your lawsuit or your effort in any way targeting these companies that are using prison labor as well, or is it separate? It's it's really a different consideration, um, Joe. The uh, there's a there are so many huge corporate interests that make money off of mass incarceration in different ways. And you have to start someplace, and we've started with the most fundamental deprivation of liberty. Um, but as you know, I mean, private industries provide food, medical care, transportation, communication, linens, construction, you name it. And that's when people are on the inside. It, it, as you're indicating, there are all kinds of big company employers of prison labor as well. Um, these are things that we have been asked to look at, but right now job one is is the private prison. And when we mean a what we mean by a private prison is when the responsibility for operating a prison is turned over to a private vendor. That's what we're talking about. So these are not BOP institutions. These are not state um, correctional facilities. These are these are privately run prisons that house uh, prisoners that are brought. In many cases, they bring prisoners from one state to another um, because of overcrowding issues and whatnot. I mean, I know that happens quite a bit. Um, I'm going to do kind of a couple of lightning questions and then give you a chance to um, give your your you know final uh, well not final but your in this conversation your your final uh, a plea to everybody for help. Um, These answers count for double. Yes, absolutely. So, number one, Arizona. Um, what? Why Arizona? Um, is it because you guys are there and you're licensed there, or is there a specific uh, amount of private prisons there that that makes this an easy target? Go ahead, Rob. Uh, both. They're both because we're licensed there, and Arizona is a hotbed for private incarceration. Okay, perfect. We'll keep moving on this one. The next one is. Um, as this is ultimately the goal, which I like to focus on, what's our goal here, is to bring this before the, the United States Supreme Court to challenge the constitutionality. In the end of this thing, it might make the most sense if we were to able to bring um, cases from other states as well. Um, so in addition to looking for prisoners that are currently or have been housed in private prisons in Arizona, and possibly other attorneys, paralegals, or somebody else that could help you in your efforts and money to fund all this, you might also be looking for attorneys that are licensed in other states so that we could open this, or we, <laughs> you guys could open this up. To, I feel like I'm helping already, so I'm inserting us into the equation. But anyway, we well, I, I, you know, we're, we're the human solution. We're here to help. Anyways. Um, we do work. We do work with lawyers in other states good. as part of this effort, okay. and, and other advocates as well. Perfect. Uh, well, with a specific goal of getting rulings in multiple circuits. So yes, it's definitely something that we're working towards. But let me mention one thing, Joe, and I know our time's limited. The goal. So you know there are layers to the goal, and the most literal one is to have abolishment, the abolition of private prisons throughout the land. 
and, and to restore the proper role of government and the proper respect for the individual. At another layer, though, we're talking about hopefully moving forward the momentum for serious criminal justice reform. And we view the powerful private prison lobby as a real um, uh, barrier to getting some of those reforms accomplished. Um, so, you know, if a, if a consequence of, of getting a favorable Supreme Court ruling was that this industry lost its power, and we could then start looking at, well, instead of moving people back into public prisons, why don't we start looking at alternatives to incarceration or, or not putting people in the criminal justice system in the first place? And I realize those are core priorities of your own organization. Absolutely. So, so you know, it, it, all, it is all connected. But right. we have to start Thank somewhere, and we've decided to start with the courthouse option. Perfect. Well, I think that is fantastic. And um, after the show, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be typing up an email for you with things that I would want to have that we could in, include in a section on our site that would drive, uh, you know, the type of support you're looking for. As you might imagine, we deal with uh, supporting defendants all over the country in all kinds of different cases. So we've had the chance to meet a lot of lawyers along the way and um, in, in all different states and for all different reasons. So um, as, as it is, and, and, and Bobby's involved with the American Bar Association and, and uh, connected with a lot of different attorneys for a lot of different reasons. So um, my personal, uh, um, I don't know, offer to you guys as representing this organization is we're going to uh, uh, put together this intake um, portal direction to your website, through hours uh, looking for um, plaintiffs or people that could file um, their initial cases and also to be looking for attorneys. Um, and, and do these attorneys need to be federal attorneys or can they, can they be on the state level initially um, to file the, it starts in the state side, doesn't it? It doesn't even have to be a licensed attorney. We work with lost volunteer law students as well. Cool. Um, we give them discrete uh, projects, and you know, as long as it, it satisfies the cost-benefit analysis from our standpoint. If you can give me a list of everything that you might want, give me the big wish <laughs> list, and, okay, and a log list. <laughs> and, well, that's okay. I, I'm a big, I'm a big plan guy, so. Um, we'll find a way to uh, distill it into a couple of questionnaires um, and, and ultimately just point them at your site and, uh, you know, we can, we can at very least help out that way right now. Let me repeat this then, Joe, and I know you've got to raise money for your organization as well, and thank you for these invitations. If people wanted to help us right away, sign up for our website, pass the word on to 100 best friends of our existence, abolishprivateprisons.org, and sacrifice one trip to your favorite coffee shop and, and give us five bucks a month or, you know, we get a thousand people doing that. We're, we're looking a lot pretty. Awesome. Well, I very much appreciate it. Um, why don't you give us your website and how to reach you and um, 
I think we're we're about out of time for today. But again, uh, once we get this thing up and um, have a little bit more time to talk behind the scenes, I'd like to have you come back. You know, in 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 a few weeks, and we can. Um, have a, a sharper point on the conversation, and hopefully have some good news to share with everybody. Yeah, our website's abolishprivateprisons.org, and you can email us at info at abolishprivateprisons.org. Beautiful. All right, well, thank you very much. we got attorneys John Dacey and Robert Craig from abolishprivateprisons.org, and I very much uh, appreciate you guys being here, and um, I'm looking forward to working with you. I'm, I'm looking forward to... Uh, I would love to see private prisons abolished. <laughs> so are we, and, and thanks to you, Joe and Bobby, for the opportunity. Absolutely. All right, you guys. Well, we will talk very soon, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Have a good one. Thank you. All right. All right, so, folks, we're uh, at the end of our show, but we've got a couple of important things to talk about before we go. Number one, I'm going to bring Candace up because she has an event this weekend and just so you guys know, Candace has been just a superstar lately. She's been uh, creating content for our social media, for our Instagram, for our Twitter. Uh, she's been filling in for Becca, a screener on our shows. Um, and just I'm so happy that we've got um, Candace Dyer with our Texas chapter, the Cannabis Open Carry Walk chapter of the Human Solution. Candace. Uh, why don't you come on and tell us a little bit about what's going on this weekend? Hey, Joe. Thank you for letting me come on, and thank you for the introduction. That was sweet. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm very, very proud to be a part of the solution and help you all out as much as possible. Well, it, it, you're doing a great job with that. And, um, you know, it's interesting. Um, as we're going through life, and I, and I believe that our organization is, has gotten better um, with the last year or, or two years, um, just bringing in some, some really key people that really have the heart. You know, that our, our organization is all about heart. And through all of the growth that we always do, you have people that come in and upset the cart and cause problems. And I just want everybody to remember, this is another little quote that came um, to me that was really kind of, salient today because of, you know, if if we spend time on social media, which so many people do, and I, you know, I do because I have to in some ways, there's just so much obnoxious behavior that goes on and just, you know, just, just nastiness. But this is something that just came to me today, and it was a real simple uh, saying, and it says this, every obnoxious act is a cry for help. And the truth is, everybody who's being nasty and mean and, and, and pointing fingers and yelling and screaming and cussing, really what they're doing is they're crying. And they're saying, exactly. you know, I just want to be loved. I just want to be cared about. I just want somebody to hear me. And that's what's really happening. So, you know, I bet you if instead of fighting back and, and, and going, yeah, Every time somebody was a shithead on, on social media or in person or wherever, if we would just go, oh, man, you poor person, you must be hurting, because that's the only people that do that kind of behavior. I don't know. Maybe we could get through it a little better. What do you think? Exactly. It always helps to uh, 
reach out to those people in love. You know what I mean? I mean, they can say something. You can be like, you know, I appreciate your opinion in it. Uh, I may not agree with it. But as long as we reach out and love those people, you know, it, it, they, you might be the only person that actually does that because they're normally trying to push people away in some way, trying, you know what I mean, to be the loner or whatever and not have people around them. But if you show them love, maybe you're the only one at that moment that has done that, and it might change them. Exactly. All right, well, Candace, why don't you tell us about what's going on this weekend? Yeah, we have an Arlington walk. Um, it's coming up in Arlington, Texas at Raising Cane's. Um, it will be from 2 to 5 this weekend. Uh, the information I posted in the Facebook uh, messaging, uh, there's a event right there. You can also go to Cannabis Open Carry Walk and look up on the event and find out more information on it. It's awesome. We have a great time out there. We bring flags, signs. Um, set up a booth out there and just tell everybody not only about um, the benefits of cannabis and the fact that we want to end cannabis prohibition, uh, we also are going to be letting people know about the Walk for Change coming up. Very cool, very cool. All right, well, I'm looking forward to hearing all about that. And, uh, you know, it's good to see that people are getting out there and, you know, not just being crippled by, by this, you know, this issue that we're all dealing with. Um, you know, there's, there's ways to be out there. And ultimately, we're the ones who decide. And I think there's a lot of things that still need to be fixed. I think that this, uh, this latest situation has, has brought a lot of these things to our attention. Um, but, but sitting at home um, and, and just being fearful and complaining isn't going to fix anything. So, anyhow, um, I appreciate everything you're doing. Why don't you give us our Twitter uh, address once again, because I'm going to wait till the end of the day to uh, randomly pick, and I'll probably do a live feed of of selecting the the person who retweets any of our posts um, between, you know, when the show started and the end of the day today. Right, right, definitely. It's at thewalkforchange.us on our Twitter. And, yeah, just go like um, or follow us and retweet something, and we'll start writing your names down. We also got an Instagram out right now as well, and that's at thewalkforchange. Yeah, I I just decided I'm going to go each show. I'm going to do one one social media platform. So today is going to be Twitter day. Next week we'll uh, maybe be. YouTube day and the week after that maybe Instagram, but either way, um, you know we're we're gaining on it. We're starting to get uh, some traction out there through the social media platform, and uh, you know as much as I can't stand it, it's working. And anything that works, I embrace. So we're working through it, making it happen. Definitely. Thank you so much, Candace Dyer. And how does somebody get a hold of you if they want to be involved with the Cannabis Open Carry Chapter of the Human Solution? Yeah, just hit me up. Um, I will send you the links. Unfortunately, if you aren't already a member with Cannabis Open Carry Walk, Facebook has us on a block at the moment. So, uh, But you can hit me up, and I will send you the link for our group, and then that way you can find it. Perfect, perfect. All right, we well, also, thank you so we much. Also have an in- Sorry, we also have an Instagram, B420 Open Carry. 
Excellent, excellent. Well, I appreciate all the work you're doing. I appreciate helping out with this show, and uh, you also do a show. Why don't you tell us uh, how to find your show? Oh, yes, uh, Canna Corner every Monday at 8 o'clock from Cannabis Open Carry Walks. Um, Canna Corner is a show to bring forth the faces of cannabis, to let them people know that um, it's not just the average stoner sitting on the couch. Um, we're trying to break the stigma, let people see the different reasons and the different faces and the different stories of why they need cannabis. Perfect. Well, it's a great show. I've been a guest on it. I've listened to it many times, and uh, you do a good job. Well, thank you so much, Candace Dyer from Texas. All thank right. you. So, um, you betcha. We're right at the end. We're a few minutes late. I don't know what happened to Tom Corby today, but he's not here. But we have Bobby Rodrigo is here to give us an update. So we're going to be doing a um, town hall type meeting in a Zoom platform on Saturday. And this is a big deal. This is the first major event that is the Walk for Change um, involvement outside of a few things that we did of several months ago. So. Bobby, why don't you tell us a little bit about what we got going on? I'm sorry. I'm trying to figure out who you are, this social media guy. I, 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 this is a new thing. I, I, is this Joe Grumbine? Remember this. To... Okay, remember this. I'm a Gemini. Ah, yes. It's okay. almost into my time. And I can tell you this. I can be anybody you want, baby. Damn straight. <laughs> yes, yes. I, and you know I have experience with Geminis. In ways that, yes, I totally understand. Yes. Right. Okay, so anyway, important stuff. So first of all, Candace, just so you understand, I realize that you're, that you're blocked, but I'm not. And Cannabis Open Catalog <laughs> is bombarded from three profiles that are not blocked, unbelievably. And the man behind the curtain will help you in any way that you like <laughs> to make sure that COCW rock and roll. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. You are not alone, damn it. Okay. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, okay, well, we are being serious. So the town hall, very important stuff. So Walk for Change, as we talked about last week, is part of the Positive People town halls that are going to be happening state-specific virtual conferences, and they're going to start this Saturday. It's going to be on the Positive People YouTube channel and the Positive People Twitch. And I've been saying Twitchy, and nobody's been correcting me, but, of course, my son. Yeah, it's his twitch. No twitch. in the background fixes everything, yeah. So, anyway, so we'll be broadcasting. And the the town hall is from 10 a.m. Pacific time to 3 p.m. Pacific time. And the walk for change will be on at 11 11 p.m. I mean, 11 a.m. Sorry, let me do that again. (laughs) 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Pacific time. And then the walk for change will be on at 11 a.m. Pacific time to 12.15 uh, our keynote, Isai, the Hollywood actor, the great Hollywood actor, Isai Morales, is being our keynote. Uh, Fernando Perdomo, the great, the great artist and producer, is going to be performing. Uh, we we are going to have the author and father of Ryan, the author of Ryan's Law, that passed in both houses in California that was vetoed by the governor. Uh, this was for allowing for cannabis to be used for patients in hospitals. Uh, so we're going to discuss that with Nurse Jana, who actually cared for Nurse Jana Champagne, who is an advisor to the Walk for Change, a medical advisor to the Walk for Change, 
actually cared for riots. We're putting them together at the town hall this Saturday. We're also going to have, from the cryptocurrency blockchain world, Monica Profit, author, uh, also involved in cannabis as well, uh, but she's an author. who's going to talk about how cryptocurrency and blockchain empowers communities because you know we're about empowering communities. We're going to have some surprises going on. We have some new hashtags that were announced the other day on another Zoom room that the man behind the curtain takes care of. Uh, ladies for change nice. and nurses for change. Nice. We're going to have some surprises around that as well. It should be a lot of fun. It should be great. Uh, it'll be the first of many virtual town halls, and glad to stop by and talk about it. And in the I believe we're going to be um, introducing the Walk for Change anthem in this one as well. Well, that's right. Yeah, so let's not forget to see the importance of. See, this is what happens when I'm here playing. Yeah, so the, the, I'm here to help. I know. Well, you're here. It's a team thing. By the way, uh, Joe and I will be on as well. You know, not often because you know we don't need to be there. Uh, but we're going to come in, say hi, introduce a couple of people out of the way like we do. But yes, we're going to have the Walk for Change Anthem is going to also be introduced in premiere. Premiere of the Walk for Change Anthem is going to be uh, and, uh, by Nick Early. Uh, we'll have uh, written, performed, the whole thing, produced the, the work. Matter of fact, today is the day that he's finalizing the, the engineering of it, as a matter of fact. All right. We've been in, we've been in yeah, it's fantastic. Great stuff. We got, we got a little inside. Uh, we heard preliminary stuff. Really, really good stuff. We're going to have some music, music, art, education, medical, fun. Yeah, hold on. This uh, is the good news. Uh, good news there you go. Right. Absolutely. Two on the town hall. I don't know if she knows that, but I put her out. There. <laughs> I don't think she got uh, yeah, that, which so is good. It should be a lot of fun. So everybody, everybody stop by. We're going to be putting out a bunch of information relative to it. Like I said, the positive people YouTube channel, you can find it. It's going to be live. It's all over the place, of course. We're going to be populating all the information on, on the social media channels. We uh, should have a press release uh, out today or tomorrow. Stuff, so keep an eye out. We'll be there. Yep, awesome. All right, well, thank you, Bobby. Thank you, everybody who has uh, made this show possible today. And uh, I hope Tom Corby is doing well. Um, it's not often that he misses the show, so I hope he's doing all right. But um, thank everybody for being here. <clears throat> we got a big show next week, I believe. We've got... Um, um, a couple of guests that we were supposed to have last or two weeks ago or last week um, that we're going to be talking about veterans' rights. And uh, I'm looking forward. Uh, the Walk for Change is getting, is getting some momentum. We're getting some steam. We're supposed to be having an NPR radio ad that's launching this week as well about the Walk for Change. So um, get involved. Walk4change.us. Um, T-H-S-I-N-T-L dot org and um, hopefully we'll see you Saturday and uh, we'll definitely Hi, I'm Willie Nelson and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse The Human Solution supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant Little things I should have said and done You were always